0: Come in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and the Kansas City Chiefs, by hook or by crook, are headed back to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 58. Not really sure how we ended up here. Couldn't be happier that we are here. We have so much to talk about, so let's not delay at all. Let's go ahead and introduce the guys. He's pricing flights to Las Vegas. Jacob Allen is with us. What's going on, man?
1: Yeah, but can we call this season a success yet? I'm not sure we've reached that point.
0: He's going to get less screen time today than the 44 seconds Taylor Swift had this past weekend. Sam Bleka is not here. He is at a conference for work. And I am Sean Deegan, and I am currently thoroughly enjoying the Chiefs' new role as villain of the NFL. I cannot believe we're here. Now, if you go back to the preseason, to be fair, Jacob, I want to start this off. With honesty, we all predicted the Chiefs to go 14 and two. Not intentionally, we just kind of went game by game. We all ended up somehow at 14 and two. Halfway through the season, I don't think any of us thought they were going to go 14 and two. Even like going into the wild card game, I think you, me, Sam, I think we all said it was probably going to be one and done. Behind the scenes, on air, we were like, well, "We'll pick them to to get a win over over the at least the wild card round." And they just kept winning. They just kept finding a way to get it done. And now the Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl. They're fourth in five years. I just want to start things out, given the roller coaster this season has been, how are we feeling? How are you feeling knowing now that the Chiefs have a chance to get their third Super Bowl win in the Patrick Mahomes era?
1: I'm ecstatic that I get to watch Patrick Mahomes for the maximum amount of weeks that are possible in the NFL. That's how I feel first off is, yes, one more week in my homes. It's, you know, we had this discussion last year about Super Bowl and where are we are emotionally. It's like you can't replicate that first one and the emotions that you had and how much pride you felt about your team in a different way. Now our pride is we're better than you. I'll tell you why. Then it was I've been a fan for so long. Let me prove why I've been a fan for so long. But yeah, it's, again, we'd all be lying if we said we thought they were going to the Super Bowl after a certain point. We were like, maybe they get hot, may, maybe, but we didn't really believe in it because we said you just, you can't be as sloppy as they were and beat three playoff teams in a row. You, you nailed it.
0: Yeah, I, your your point about it, it feeling different is, is a good one in that, the first one's always going to be crazy because you're breaking a drought. You're breaking this, this feeling of I'm never going to get to watch my team win a Super Bowl or a championship. kind of felt the same way back in 2015 with the Royals, especially after losing the World Series in 2014. You'd think, like, oh, maybe that was the shot. It all came together perfectly. It was kind of a magical run just to get to the World Series, and you don't think it's going to happen again. And then they get it, and that feeling of, oh, we finally broke through. We got a title. The Chiefs, I think, felt different because it was, it was almost like an arrival. And for our generation specifically, it's the first time we got to see a championship with the Chiefs. And then we knew we had the guy, that quarterback. We knew we had the most important piece filled by the best player in the NFL. The ones subsequently have like had different feelings and different uh, emotions uh, come with them. I think this one, though, is the closest we're ever going to get to that first one mainly because it's just not expected. It's not it's not something we planned on. Before the season, you know we had a lot of optimism and it and just due to the struggles with the receivers, the sloppy penalties, the the offensive line, the tackle specifically kind of being up and down throughout the year, and there was just a lot of reasons to go. I don't really know if this team can get it done even with a guy as good as Patrick Mahomes. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think the, the feeling is different, but I think this is going to be, if if they're able to pull it off, then I think that feeling will be maybe not the same level, but it'll be as close as we could have gotten given the circumstances then going back. I do want to pose this next question because, like I said, we talked about how we didn't think we were going to get it. Um, I know talking with one of our friends, Hunter, through text, like it, I can't tell you how many times during the the last third of the season, we we're going back and go. I think it's one and done in the playoffs. Like, I don't I don't think this is the team to do it. And you try to hold the faith as a fan. You want to be excited, but you're just you're nervous because you don't want to get your hopes up. And it sucks when you have like when you have expectations and it doesn't come through. See the Super Bowl against Tampa. Have the Chiefs given all the adversity they faced this year, seeing the wide receivers like leave the NFL and drops. Have no true number one through the first two thirds of the season. Travis Kelsey started to fall off. We thought before we got to the playoffs, and then Travis Kelsey reemerged. Like the, the offensive line, you know, ups and downs. Creed Humphrey not snapping the ball particularly well. Like I said, the tackle problems, play calling, coaching suspects. We just there were too many things going on to make us feel super comfortable. Now that they're here, have they earned the beyond all doubt status? Like, it's them until they say it's not. No matter what's going on in the year, do we think that this is it? Have they earned that status yet?
1: Okay. I didn't realize the question was framed this way. I kind of viewed it as when Sean sent the the script, uh, I thought it was... Like what do team I thought you were asking what do teams have sorry, what do other team other teams have left to say about the Chiefs that could, you know, be a doubt as in like the sense of Mahomes can't win a road playoff game. I thought it was kind of that. But you're saying are they the think, favorite until they're not?
0: Yeah, kinda of like I mean I think the things that you originally thought factor into kind of the bigger picture what I'm thinking, like is again, like, Mahomes hasn't won a won a road playoff game. They're going to have to go through Miami, the best offense in the NFL. Josh Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson, they're going to, have to, and all, they're going to have to go through the 49ers. So a lot of people thought it was the best team in the NFL. All the problems they had throughout the year were the reasons we didn't think they were going to win. All of these reasons now, they've still managed to overcome. And at this point, is it like, even if things are struggling, you know, we talk seem to talk about it every offseason, right? Where it's like, yeah, we had doubts, and then they some you know, we, this kind of happens every year where they have this point in the season, except this year was kind of all year. And I think that's what made us all kind of doubtful. Have they earned the status of it doesn't really matter what the adversity, whether it's on the road, having to go on the road to win against four playoff teams? Like, they're going to have to win a fourth game against a playoff caliber team and the number one seed in the NFC, in spite of, and with all the problems that came throughout the year. That's kind of where that question originated from for me is with all the adversity.
1: So then I guess, you know, looking at our future questions, I'll answer the question you asked, you know, that's rare for me, but Sam's not here. So I have to break the mold, I guess. (laughs) Uh, I I, I don't have Sam to disagree with. So I just feel really out of my element right now. This team reminds me of when the Patriots beat the chiefs in 2018. That's what it reminds me of that Patriots team. Was not the best Patriots team they've ever had. That Patriots roster was not even, I don't even think that roster was better than the Chiefs' roster. They just, you know, had it, which the Chiefs have right now, where it's, we know how to do this. We know how to game plan where we can compete with a team that is more talented than us. And we're going to just ride this the whole way. Uh, again, they, that team went on to beat the Rams 13-3 in the Super Bowl, only further proving the point that this Chiefs is kind of that team, where it's like, is the roster complete? No. But do they have Mahomes, and do they have Kelsey? Yes. Did they have Brady, and did they have Gronk? Yes. Did Gronk have a great season that year? No. Did he destroy the Chiefs in the playoffs? Yes, when it mattered the most. So that's exactly who I've been thinking about this whole time. I was like, man, that it reminds me so much of it because it's like they don't have as much talent, but they just know how to win when it matters.
0: Yeah, I, I we'll get to some of the other questions more later about this this offense specifically and maybe how they're coached for this kind of a thing. But for me, at this point, it's I'm sure my emotions are going to get the best of me because I'm a fan. I'm an emotional person anyway, just by default. I run hot, run cold very quickly. But I think as a, if I'm going like to take a step back and be you know, more of an analyst approach to it, I think you have to look at it and go, yeah, like, Mahomes is still under center. Until he's not, I don't really care what, what the adversity is. I'm going to pick them. Because he's shown it doesn't really matter what else happens. And as long as we've got me, we'll find a way. And I, and I don't mean to like disrespect the defense or, or the, the oncoming of Rasheed Rice or anything. It just it's, The point is that no matter what iteration of this team happens to be on the field, whether it's a team that has a defense that's suspect, a defense that is elite, a team that's filled with offensive weapons like Sammy Watkins, Tyree Kilt, Travis Kelsey, or a team whose number one receiver going into the season was Marquez valdez stanley As long as he is there, I will pick them. They are the team at this point. And it'll be one of those things like during the season, we'll probably look at it next year too, where there'll be problems and bumps and things that don't look pretty or warts on the team. And we'll talk about it. We'll discuss it. We'll debate it. Like, hey, how does this affect their chances going forward? And I'll I'll do my best to give an honest answer. But at the end of the day, I'm going to say, but they still have Patrick Mahomes. And as long as they've got him, nothing else matters. You had mentioned, it, uh, Jacob, just kind of the run through the playoffs and the adversity they would have to face with going through the Dolphins, going through the Bills, going through the Baltimore Ravens, and now having to go through the 49ers, the first three all through the AFC on the road. Mahomes had never played a road playoff game before. If the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, is this the most impressive playoff run in NFL history? You're having to go through three you know, juggernauts on offense in very different ways and have two of the three aliens at quarterback in the NFL. I'm talking about Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, a lot of people's consensus MVP pick this year. You have to go through all that, and then you get the number one seed in the NFC with maybe the only other offensive mind that people kind of compare to Andy Reid and that level in the NFL with Kyle Shanahan, a team that is absolutely loaded with weapons offensively. If they pull it off, is this the most impressive playoff run in NFL history?
1: I saw them comparing the, sorry, I saw them comparing Chiefs and the Patriots, and that was like the other best five-year stretch. And I mean, I think it's fair. It's pretty equivalent to that. Uh, The thing that I think the Chiefs, I mean, they have to win. I think the only thing left they have to prove is a back-to-back because that's Happened multiple times throughout NFL history, and it would be the one thing people could have against the Chiefs. And But if you go back-to-back, back, nobody can say a thing. No, and for people who don't want to hop on Google real quick, there has never been a three-peat in the Super Bowl era.
0: Yeah, we will refrain from talking about it, because last time we brought up a three-peat, it was like, what if he gets three? They lost in the Super Bowl to Tampa Bay. I'll never forget that. Let's get into the specifics of the game. Chiefs put up 17 points on the Ravens. And really, like, if you saw on the start of the game, they get the 17 points. And you think, oh, we're gonna they're gonna hang 40 on the Ravens. And then they shut it down. And some of it was the Raven, some of it looked like initially the Ravens, from a fan's perspective, are just you know zeroing in and lighting up the Chiefs run game at that point. They were really and they seemed to make a lot of good adjustments, but also the play calling for the chiefs, you know a lot of lot of you know run, run screen, run, run, screen. there wasn't there weren't a lot of creative designs the way there was in the first half of football. And so I wanted to ask you, Jacob, how much of the offense stalling to you in the second half was play calling that was intentional and by design to You know, just, just kill clock. Let's kill the clock. Let's let our defense handle this game. We'll get out of here with a lot of bullets still left in the chamber and how much of it is the Ravens made adjustments and the chiefs just didn't have an answer for it.
1: The chiefs got very conservative in the second half of that game, uh, and also the offensive line was starting to really get destroyed and i think part of that was the play call in the first half you saw tons of quick passes and it was my only frustration was go back to the quick passes you're not giving up much in your offense to sorry giving up much of your playbook to be like a screen to rice on the right side that's a play they run four times a game yeah. Oh, so I I didn't fully get it. It was like, hey, you are asking a lot of your offensive line who is getting just destroyed and has all year. So I would hope that in the Super Bowl they had learned their lesson this week of, hey, this old line can't hold up to let Mahomes do a five-step drop and look around for a while, and you're not going to stretch run or you're not going to power run just consistently. So just keep moving the ball all around. Don't get conservative.
0: Yeah, most of my time was in the second half, which is spent screaming at the television going, at the offense. Like, what are you doing? Like, And not even that they weren't scoring, it was just that they were giving the ball back so fast. And it really was like run, run, screen. And screen against a zone, which is not, not the same thing as a man. Obviously, with a man, you're like lined up, and I'm going to take this guy out. The zone is a little bit more difficult to get to scheme up. Uh, a screen for. And so I I sat there going, why, why are we like, where are the zone beaters? Like you have two of the best in, you've had with Travis Kelsey, who might be the best ever at finding holes in the zone. And Rasheed Rice's specialty is like finding a hole in the zone. Like, what are we doing here? So I'm, I think a lot of it was that the Chiefs play calling got very conservative. I still would like to have seen them execute it better. The reason I pose the question is because I think it dictates a lot how people will feel going into the game against the 49ers, right? Like, if your answer had been, yeah, I feel like Baltimore figured them out and really just shut them down in in that second half, I don't think you feel terribly great going in against the 49ers because it shows, like, oh, the Chiefs can be schemed up against after you've seen what they have in the first half. They don't really have an answer if you're able to make adjustments. But if it's one of those cases where, like, the long-suspected – truth about Andy Reid is that he he tends to throttle it down if he's got a lead and doesn't have to use all his bullets. He likes to save as much as he can for down the road. There's never been any, like, confirmed stuff with that, obviously, but that seems to be the, the prevailing thought. Then I think you feel a lot better that the fact that they only got 17 points and that they were able to put the game away when they really needed to. So I yeah, that's the reason I pose the question, and I, why I also still feel pretty good about their chances against the Niners, is I do think the play calling and the game plan became let's just manage the clock and try to just run this thing out as, as quickly as possible. There are lots of, of playoff records that were you know tied or set or things that are coming up. You know, Patrick Mahomes set is has now more playoff wins before the age of 30 than any other quarterback in the NFL, passing Tom Brady. He's about to pass. He's tied with Peyton Manning at the in the uh, total playoff wins uh, at fourteen. That's Manning's entire career versus Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> but when you set a playoff record that passes Jerry Rice, that's something that I think you need to highlight. And Travis Kelsey did just that in this game. He set the receptions record for playoffs. Uh, total receptions in the playoffs for a career passing Jerry Rice. uh, Not something many people get to say about any statistic when it comes to receiving that you pass Jerry Rice or even approached Jerry Rice's numbers. So it did feel like we needed to take a minute and address that because one of the things that we talk about a lot is like, okay, who's the goat at tight end? Like we talk about it with quarterback. I think because we've had Tony Gonzalez and Travis Kelsey back to back, we we as Chiefs fans may be bringing up more than most about who is who's the best tight end of all time, especially since you've seen others in your own division, guys like Antonio Gates, who have who've been big-time studs. You've seen Rob Gronkowski over with the Patriots. Um, there's, there are a lot of reasons, but as opposed to that, I, want to, I think we need to start talking about where does he rank all-time as a receiver. Not even just a tight end, but, like, throw any wide receiver into that discussion that you want. And some of them still, like, they don't have the run that Travis Kelsey has had, even when you talk about 1,000-yard seasons. So, Jacob, for you, like, maybe it's not like I'm going to rank him fifth, but, like, if you had to tier it even, like, where is he for you? Like, where what echelon does Travis Kelsey belong in? I mean,
1: you... You gotta put them right up there with the great ones, which is crazy. You know, being the ages we are, we're like, oh, those those guys are untouchable legends. That's that's folklore. Versus, wait, wait, that's currently happening, and like people my children's age will, you know, who are babies right now will feel that same way about Travis Kelsey, who they. Watch play only kind of we we remember Jerry Rice on the Raiders and Broncos. That's the Rice we remember really. Like we can pretend like we really remember watching him on the 49ers and just pretending like he's a a legend because we didn't actually watch him play. But yeah, that's. I mean, he's got to be up there for top playoff performers all time. We already you know have discussions about is he the best tight end all time, and that's a valid argument. Uh. <laughs> He might be the best playoff performer of all time with, you know, of course, maybe the best performing playoff quarterback of all time, you know, when it's all said and done. But as as you've said, you know, right now all we can say is Mahomes' pace and his touchdowns to interceptions and – sorry, touchdowns to games, not under, to interceptions even, but touchdowns to games is insane. So it helps when that's your quarterback throwing you the ball.
0: So. Oh. Just, just for reference, and this is the reason I bring this up. Two of the best receivers in the NFL, at least in that uh, we've seen, that like are are very clearly in our uh, adult life that we will remember, that are still playing today, they are also you know during Travis Kelsey's prime. That's Devontae Adams and Tyree Hill. One's very close to home. One is also now in your division. But like, here's some of the things. Like you know, uh, Devontae Adams has had. The most consecutive 1,000-yard receiving seasons he's had is four. Now, they were for you know, more than 1,300, 1,500, 1,500, and 1,100. It's phenomenal. It's some of the best receiving stuff you can do. He's also putting up touchdowns of 18, 11, and 14 during that run. Uh, had a low, of a low quote-unquote, of eight. He's, that's the most recent that he's done. Tyree Kill, kind of similar story. He has four consecutive seasons of receiving uh, more than 1,000 yards, to more than 1,200 with Kansas City, and then the last two here, 2022, 2023, more than 1,700 yards. He came up one yard shy in the regular season of 1,800 this past season. Travis Kelsey, while well, he may not have the top end numbers, like 1,700 yards, still six seasons. Count of six. One, Said, shorted in one seven seasons of a thousand yards receiving plus, and he's got a couple of thirteen hundred and one fourteen hundred plus yards in there. Like these are the guys whose names he's mentioned with. And he did this with Tyreek Hill on his team. So like for me, it's he he should it's, it's beyond is he the best tight end? It's where does he rank amongst the best receivers? I don't I don't, I think the Best tight end has been should be put to bed. I think if you want to like change the argument of like, okay, is it what's best ever, best career, best for one game, you know, best at their peak, I think that's a perfectly valid discussion to have. But if you're talking about just best of all time, like for me, that's your total career and how you perform during it. Like if you want to look at it as a total uh, all of it in totality. He's in those names. He should be mentioned in those names with guys like Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, like Cooper Cup. Like those guys are the ones he should be talked about with. And I, I don't know if he'll get that level of credit just because I think the term tight end is still maybe not put in the same category, but he should be even with the, the moniker of tight end attached to him. I want to take the kind of a, a bit of the, what we talked about with the first question here about the offense regarding uh, did they stall because of play calling or the Ravens stop them and, and take it maybe a bit broader because you had mentioned something earlier, Jake, when we were talking about like big picture stuff. Like They seem to perform best when the lights are brightest, when it's the playoffs. That's when the Chiefs really seem to step up and bring a handle. And Travis Kelsey, like you said, might be the best playoff performer of all time. We were wondering if he might be ready to retire at the end of this year. He comes out and puts out a, a game with more than 100 yards, two touchdowns, and double-digit receptions in this one against the Ravens. How much of the Chiefs' struggles during the year are the Chiefs maybe holding things back or trying things out? I didn't put that part on the rundown, but how much of it is Andy Reid going, I know we're playing for playoff football regardless. So let's figure some things out. We don't have to empty the chamber here. Let's let's work on these things and find out what works, and we'll hold these things back because I know they will work. You know, Sir ben Petro talked about I was listening to his, the show today on their podcast, and he talked about how it's like I think Steve Spagnolo coaches these cornerbacks for the playoffs because they are really physical during the regular season, and sometimes they get flagged a lot for it. But when they start eating flags in the playoffs – That's Chiefs football works, especially this year with Spagnuolo. That this defense has been very physical, and the corners have been elite. So, how much of it, Jacob? Do you think is Andy Reid's gonna pull things back and maybe try to figure some things out as they go, and we'll worry about really unloading the
1: chamber when we get to the playoffs? I think they have a base system they're working off of. You know, have about seventy-five percent of their standard plays in there throughout the regular season where it's like, here's the sets you're going to see often. And then I think once you hit the playoffs, you know, there's about five to 10 versions off those, those sets for each set. So I'm going to say, you know, it's like if it's three sets, you have five plays for each of those sets. So It's like probably have somewhere between 15 to 20 new plays in the chamber to roll out there because you want the other team to be like, okay, we recognize this, this is about what they're about to do, and then they just completely zag from what that team thought. I think that happens about five to ten times. So in that sense, I think they're holding things back. Now, do I think the struggles this year were because of that? Unless Andy Reid was asking the players to let the ball hit them in the hands and go into the defender's hands, I, I don't think so. It was a personnel thing for... The longest amount of time. I do think there is some strategy by them to say, like, and we've seen it every year, you know, we're like, what can we get by with in the regular season? How much of our playbook do we have to establish versus break out to be in a position to win the Super Bowl? You, I think the evidence is you took the Texans to overtime last year before the Texans were the CJ Stroud Texans for context. It's just like, there's reasons they lose really bad regular season games. It's There's a little bit of it is that, you know, I think there is a little bit of holding back of, we don't want to burn all of our playbook. But I think for the most part, this year you can't blame on that.
0: So I agree with you on the personnel part. I think the part that I would add to that is that Andy Reid, though, still knows that you're probably going to need at least one or two of those guys who are not playing well. You know, we heard the stories that were the reports coming out of Arrowhead that Andy Reid was talking to Patrick Holmes, saying, I need you to still trust these guys. You need to keep throwing. Specifically MVS, like that was the name that we kept hearing. It's like, I still need you to take shots. And you see it pay off against the Ravens in the most poetic way, fashion, that seals their win in the AFC Championship game. Holmes goes to for 30-plus. I think there's there's something to that where it's like, even in the midst of struggles, Andy's like, just be patient. Keep working on these things. Trust these guys. We're going to need them at some point, even if they're not maybe the priority that they are right now. I do think that they hold back players for sure. Rasheed Rice being a prime example. How many weeks do we come on the podcast and go, why is Rasheed Rice only playing 30% of the snaps? Why is he only playing 40% of the snaps? How long is it going to be before he passes MBS for for snap percentage? Leader on the on out of the wide receiver group, and it took a while. And I think that's very intentional by Andy Reid because it, again, it's been it's beaten a dead horse at this point. But the discussion about how hard Andy Reid's offense is to pick up for young and especially rookie wide receivers, you see it with some guys like Darius Tony, who didn't pick it up. Like that's why he's not playing, amongst many other things. Rasheed Rice took the time, they were patient with him, and he picked it up. And now you start to see him really understand, well, sit down in the zone. He won't, he doesn't drift or round it off. You know, some of the things that we have seen and some of the things that, you know, guys who really build on all 22 film, like uh, Seth Kaiser, bring them. They will, they talk about how it's okay, look at that route. It's a lot sharper. It's a lot cleaner. Those things are important. And I do think that they hold those guys back. I think they, will, they, they, I think they were hoping that Jarrett McKinnon would, would be one of those guys that they could hold back and then unleash during the playoffs, kind of like they did last year before he got hurt. I think those things are very real. And at this point, it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. It's like, I think I need to stop questioning it until it just doesn't work. Let's flip to the other side of the football and talk about the defense, because good lord. Steve Spagnuolo and this defense were masterful against the Baltimore Ravens. A lot of people thought this was one of the best offenses in the NFL, if not the best offense in the NFL. Specifically, you start looking at analytics like DVOA, which I'm still not sure what it stands for, but I hear it's important when grading offenses. But a lot of people thought the Ravens offense was one of the best, if not the best in the AFC. And the Chiefs held them at 10 points. Starting with the bad news, because I want to get it out of the way, because it sucks. And then we'll get into the more positive stuff. But we need to start with the bad news, and that's that one of the prime performers in this game, even in his limited time on the field, was Charles Ameneky, who made a massive strip sack fumble on Lamar Jackson that Chiefs were able to pick up. He ended up tearing his ACL in this game. Um, It really sucks because he had said Uh, I think it was with Aaron Ladd in a post-game interview. He said, oh, no, I'm going to be straight for the the Super Bowl. I'll be ready to play. And then get the news that his ACL is completely torn and it's just not physically possible for him to be able to play. How much, Jacob, do you think this will hurt? We were talking before in the podcast about some stats that uh, I saw that were tweeted out by, I think a guy's name is Sean Newkirk, um, who tweeted out some of the pressure rates pressure win rates for the Chiefs um, from the time that Amenahue was on the field to the time that he was not on the field. They are weeks one through six versus seven through 17. And it's a, a solid 8% difference from weeks one through six to the remaining part seven through 17 improvement when Amenahue got there. So how much do you think this is going to
1: impact the Chiefs? How much do you think it will hurt the Chiefs that he is not going to be on the field? He's their best speed pass rush option off the edge. I mean, he's he's their best option off the edge, just in general. Uh, but again, they can't replicate that speed unless it's with the blitzes that Spags likes to bring. I think if you're going to choose a game for him not to be in, you want it to be a team like the Niners, where you're like losing him against Lamar stunk because it's like, they needed that speed to catch Lamar. Purdy's got some wheels too, but I think Purdy's just a little bit easier to contain because he's not shifty in the same way that Lamar is. But yeah, it hurts. I mean, you can you could reasonably be like, hey, that is no less than one sack lost in that game because of you know baseball stat wins above replacement. It's like he's worth one sack in his sacks above replacement, which will probably be a combination of. uh Dana, Chris Jones couldn't go to the edge, and then Karloftis will already have his own side. So I'm not even you know, factoring him in as it. It does make me wonder if they're going to put Felix in after basically – well, not basically, after sitting him the entire playoffs. It's like I, I just don't think that's what they're going to do. It would be weird for them to bring Felix in at that point.
0: Yeah, he's one that – you lose him, and there's not really a good option to replace him, mainly because he's a terrific defensive lineman, kind of no matter where you put him, whether he's at edge or you know lined up straight up, head up over the tackle, or if he's playing a three-tech at defensive tackle, like he does everything well, and is a perfect Steve Spagnuolo defensive lineman in in that he is so versatile and. Because he is so good at everything, his versatility stands out in the most obvious ways and allows for the Chiefs to do things like move Chris Jones out to defensive end, allows them to you know, play Tershawn Wharton at the 3 tech, uh, or sometimes they'll even put uh, George Carl Voptis inside and move Chris Jones and uh, Charles Lomenicu out to edge. There's just so many options that you have when you're trying to create mismatches, when he's on the field. And without him, you don't have a good answer. Not to mention that somebody's going to have to pick up the snap share just to keep guys fresh. And this is It's going to be a big ask of whomever it is that gets that call. You know, Tershawn Wharton, I think, has played well in a rotational role as the pass rush defensive tackle, but can he pick up significantly more snaps? Like he played pretty well against the Ravens, but I still think it's a big ask. And we saw them wear down as the game went on, and the Chiefs weren't able to, you know, keep the offense on the field. So I that's that part to me is the part that makes me the most nervous, is that he is not on the field. I think that will make it really difficult for the Chiefs um, if they are not able to find a suitable design or answer on how they're going to defend the 49ers without him because I don't think you could do it the same exact way that you would if he was on the field now let's get to the positives had to address the negative feel awful for Charles hopefully he gets a full and quick recovery in is back for hopefully another run next year let's flip to the positive side because there is a lot of it and need to start with the man with the plan who makes the calls and the game plan for the Ravens, and that is Steve Spagnuolo. He came up with about as perfect a scheme and plan as you could possibly hope for against the Baltimore Ravens. There only a couple of times that Lamar Jackson really broke contain and hurt you. And one was, you know, we were talking about it before, Jacob, but kind of a painful flashback for a lot of Chiefs fans where a ball gets batted and the quarterback catches it and makes a play that hurts your team. That sucked. Uh, the other time was just Lamar being Lamar, and he navigated the pocket great and found a hole and exploded through it. And really, the only other time that he hurt you was with his arm. And again, it was him rolling out away uh, from the pass rush, then you know looked like he was finally going to get snacked by Leo Chenault, and managed to get away. And you know, it's not the coverage just fault at that point. It's so like eight second, eight seconds trying to cover, and at that point, Nick Bolton has to cover as a Flowers, and that's just bad news. Spags was about as good as you possibly could hope for. If those are the only three moments you look at and go, oh, out of a three-hour football game, there were three moments that the Ravens really made a play, and really a couple more because of craziness. What impressed you most about how Spagnola was able to game plan against Baltimore?
1: I think his flexibility during the game was what I was most impressed with because they came out and packed in the middle of the field like they like to do against Lamar, and say, hey, buddy, you can, you can have all you want trying to throw it to the edges of the field. And you saw they took a couple of shots down the sideline and, you know, Lamar just couldn't connect because he still throws that ball on such a line drive that it doesn't give his guys as much of a chance. Uh, Then he overthrew him, I think, on every single one of them. Uh, Only the interception in the middle of the field, I feel like, was the only big underthrow we saw, which also, listen, if you've watched NFL football, you understand that when you make a throw that bad, they're not going to call pass interference. Like, I'm I'm sorry. That's just not a standard call. And, and you know it, too, if you've watched. But, yeah, then they switched to zone because I think Lamar was starting to beat them up running the ball. And it was kind of like when you're watching basketball and a team will try to throw a zone defense at another team just to mix them up and throw off their offense for a moment. But even that... Started to kind of hurt them. They just, it seemed like at the end they went back to trying to, you know, like play man and pack the middle of the field again. And it worked because it shut the Ravens back down again. I thought they got some traction when they were playing, kind of drop everybody and just, just sit there. And Spags was also very aggressive throughout the majority of the game. And it paid off. I mean, again, you, the one time it didn't pay off was just because Leo Chanel couldn't tackle Lamar Jackson on the play. And Leo Chanel, um, I, I get it. I I couldn't tackle Lamar Jackson, and, you know, quick sidebar, I also couldn't tackle Gus Edwards after trying to see one of the staff members try to stop him on the sideline. That is exactly what I would look like, so I can only imagine how it would look if I tried to even, like, two-hand touch Lamar Jackson. But, yeah, I mean, it's, Hags is earning himself into a pretty elite air, too, so it'll it'll be something to watch of. Will that garner him you know, another head coaching position. I mean, we have heard zero about it, but as good as he's been as a Chiefs fan, we just kind of hope he's one of those lifer guys. It's like, you know what? I've had my head coaching gigs. Didn't really like, you know, the added pressure and having to manage the whole team and not just get to, you know, have my handle on play calling on the defensive side. And hope he stays because it's clearly working.
0: Yeah, for me, I'll, 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 there's one specific thing that stands out because it's the most spags thing possible, and yet it's, it's a, great, a great example of coaching that stuck. And that's he didn't sacrifice bringing pressure for the sake of containing Lamar Jackson. They found a way to do both. The edges clearly took like a very wide route to keep Lamar contained. It was part, clearly part of the game plan. Keep him in the middle. Do not let him get wide. Do not let him break Contain, And the Chiefs did a really good job of that. But they also just kept bringing pressure whether it was a corner from the slot or Leo Chennault off the edge or from middle linebacker position or Nick Bolton from his middle linebacker position. Drew Tranquil a couple times. Like They found ways to continue to bring pressure. Like They kept Bringing pieces, but they never really, like we said, there's only one time Lamar broke containment. It wasn't even that he got outside, it's that he just kind of navigated the pocket really well and found a hole. And Lamar Jackson is really damn good. He's going to do that once in a while. I just, I was so impressed with guys like Chris Jones and Carl Loftus, like bringing a lot of pressure around the edges, but still maintaining contain. You know, we saw a couple times where it was like Chris Jones brings a wide. Uh, a wide rush and is able to get his hand on a ball that's being thrown to the to the, the flat because he's not, he's not trying to get upfield as quickly as he might. He, he understands his assignment. Guys like would readjust. You saw Leo Chennault even on the, the pass that Lamar was able to find Zay Flowers. Like when he didn't get him, he didn't quit. He was able to get back outside and he kind of hesitates, right? He hesitates. He doesn't go flat Lamar Jackson he doesn't want to lose him just so happened that Zay Flowers had found space at that point. I just think it was a, a masterful balance and a, a clear sign of how the coaching is getting through to players when you can balance, make sure you contain Lamar Jackson, but we're still going to go get after him. Last thing here for tonight, um, didn't have – we're not going to obviously talk about the game against the 49ers because then we'd have nothing to talk about next week. Um at least hopefully nothing to talk about next week. You always hope that there's no news during uh, the
1: bye week. Right? Sean, I was going to say, I don't know if that's fair. We spend an entire off-season where there's no news and find plenty of things to talk about. That's also fair. We will we will find something to uh, to talk about, it, however
0: obscure. Um, but one of the pieces that was not on the field for this game in, in was Willie Gage Jr. And he was initially... He was, uh reported to be the game plan in spying Lamar Jackson. Uh then uh during the pregame with CBS they reported that uh Tracy Wilson reported that Spag said it was probably gonna fall to Leo Chenault, which sounded like a terrible idea, given that he is very much a north south player, not necessarily the most best at going east to west. And it seemed like as the game went on, Drew Tranquil's job became Lamar Jackson. How important is getting back one of year?
1: Because, again, they're already
0: going to be down Charles Aminning. And that that loss sucks. That's going to be brutal. They already don't have Derek Naughty. We'll see if he's able to you know, get it back. I don't even know. Did he, he get placed on IR? I actually got to go check. I'll double check that. But they might not Naid, have. Yeah. I think he did get put on IR. I'll oh, look. I'm pretty sure he did.
1: I'm pretty certain as well because I feel like I was waiting to see if Tooney would get put on an IR and then that's just like the same day they – I mean, the day they usually make their um, roster designations. I don't remember what day of the week it is. But I was looking for Tooney and saw that they put Naughty on it.
0: Gotcha. Okay. I'm yeah, pretty that, sure. That part sucks. So you're you're going to be down some key pieces. And getting a guy like Willie Gay Jr. back, we've seen, you know, Sam called it, and we keep giving him credit, but we've seen that Willie Gay Jr. can be a really effective blitzer and pass rusher off the edge but also simultaneously being a guy that plays well in coverage against guys who are really athletic because he's just an athletic freak and he's, his athleticism plays well in pretty much any facet of the game as long as he's not you know, over-pursuing.
1: How big is getting him back? Because they're going to need him. Sorry, I was, I was nodding in agreement. And then about 10 seconds later, I realized, Sean, that you were throwing to me, so... Uh... <laughs> This is a, a PSA to everyone to not have two babies in the house. <laughs> your brain is broken. This is your brain on two toddlers, two kids under three. I I mean, you love to have Lily Gay back because that's just one more cog to your defense being a machine. of, You know, it's one less thing I feel like Drew Tranquil has to do being the. Get over the field guy, having Willie Gay back. It's just, I think you won him back for the game. It's, he's the most athletic player on the defense, probably. So that's probably going to be, like I said, Purdy killed the Lions with his feet. And so I worry about that and who's going to stop that for them if it's not Willie Gay.
0: Full disclosure, this was also a question last week about Lamar, but again warranted a, a repeat. Um here's here's what I'll say. I wonder in zone coverage if the guy in the middle on that deep bomb to Zay Flowers is Willie Gay Jr. Does does Zay Flowers get loose? Because we've seen Willie Gay Jr. cover Devonta Smith down the field in the Super Bowl against the Eagles. It's not like you can't keep up with these guys who are who are top level receivers. And 40-time-for-40-time, for I think Zay Flowers is, is faster than, than Smith, but it's just a different-level athlete out there who can do different things and allow a lot more flexibility. And when you're already down one of those guys, and Charles Aminigou, you're nice to get one of those other guys back. Brandon's not going to be able to help like, you know, on the defensive line, but like we said, he's a really effective blitzer. Sam called it when we were talking about like, during the bye week this year, like, what's the the best defense they could have? He's like, I would move Willie Gay Jr. to edge. And Jacob and I both were like, what are we doing? Why would we do that? And then, like, the next week, Willie Gay Jr. came out and played some edge and rushed off the edge. When you have a guy who can do all of those things, and granted, he's not without flaws. Like, he over-pursues. He sometimes gets very zeroed in on the ball, on where, where he thinks the ball is and can you know, get out of position, but There's just no replacing that level of athleticism and versatility. And if you can have multiple of those guys, like him and Drew Tranquil, and Willie Gay Jr. being a much bigger guy who can kind of be a thumper, I think that you you might not see as many broken plays down the middle of the field if Nick Bolden is not being the guy that's asked to cover, and it's Willie Gay Jr. instead. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us tonight. We appreciate you joining us each and every week. Enjoy the bye week. Bask in this time. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of fanfare. It's always a good time during the bye week. We get all the interviews and radio row at the Super Bowl. So just do your best to enjoy this time. Ignore the haters. The Chiefs are back in the Super Bowl. Make sure you don't take this for granted. We remember the times when we didn't have it. So enjoy this week. And next week we'll come back and preview that game against the 49ers in Super Bowl 58. Until next time, you all stay safe out there. We will talk to you next week.